And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and we are recording about an hour after ESPN, Fox, NBC, CBS, you name it, uh, individual conferences all at once announced their uh, selections, the kickoff times, which networks for the first three weeks of the season. Uh, Bruce, what stands out to you? Um, well, is something that, you know, the, the first thing, honestly, is the Dion thing. Because, and this is, you know, full disclosure, I work at Fox and we have big noon the first two weeks. We have Dion Sanders in Colorado. And how shocking that is compared to where it was a year ago, where they played back-to-back games in November, they being the Buffs, and against top 10 opponents, once against Oregon, once against uh, USC, they didn't even get a million viewers, which for TV, for college football, is not a lot. And against USC game, they had barely over half a million. So to see them not just have... Uh, big interest from the networks, but also in, in big, you know, big coveted time windows. That's significant. Colorado um, had an interesting note about, about this, which is this is the first time in over 30 years, and it's really dating back to the CU national title season in 1990, where the Buffs' first three games are either on network television or the main ESPN channel. Again, this speaks to the intrigue around Deion Sanders and that program. For for at least the early part of September, they are must see TV. Yeah, they. Uh, I looked last year; they did not have any games on Fox, and they have the two, you know, uh, premier games on Fox the first two weeks, their most coveted time slot. And they had two games on ESPN all of last season. Uh, they already have two announced: the uh, Colorado State game in Week Three and a Friday night game against Stanford later in the season. Now. I think that you would agree that part of the reason your employer is going all in now is uh, it may turn out they're terrible and there isn't nearly as much interest by week four, week five. But there's no question they've been the dominant storyline of the offseason. Literally everything we write about them on The Athletic gets, you know, crazy good uh, readership numbers. And so Fox, obviously, because they're not, you know, usually... We, we've, we're so used to that big noon window being Ohio State or Michigan, maybe Penn State. Um, they're betting on the interest around Dion and the fact that they're playing a TCU team that was in the national championship game last year as, you know, the most intriguing game they could air that day. Um, and it also helps that the second game is Nebraska in the beginning of the Matt Rule era. So I think if it was CU against Indiana – I don't think that would be the second. I, I don't know this, but I don't no. think that would be a double. But 
I do think some of it also is it's not just Dion. I mean, Dion's brought, you know, the biggest names and, you know, his star power guys from Jackson State. You know, so you're talking about the nation's number one recruit who followed who followed him to Jackson State and then followed him to, to Colorado. And his son, Shador Sanders, who's by all accounts a really talented quarterback. And so you have a lot of transfers who are there. So I think there is the curiosity factor. To me, you know, you and I talked about this offline, trying to figure a, a uh, you know, some kind of a relevant analogy you know for for some kind of precedent there really isn't one obviously lincoln riley going to usc with a bunch of his transfers most notably caleb williams was a big thing but usc was still it, it usc was nowhere off the grid even if it was bad under clay helton two years ago it was it was not largely irrelevant the way colorado football has been for so long i mean the only comparison that somebody had made on the tv side which i think is a which is has some merit isn't even a college example it's when tom brady left the patriots to go to the bucks he made the bucks he obviously ter- later turned them into a super bowl team but just in terms of the bucks were a team that is certainly not a national brand and he made them something that the nfl people cared about and so you know for 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 that we'll see how it goes you know if they go if they lose the first two games and then they lose to Colorado State, then I think the air is going to come out of the balloon when they then go. Then that's the end of that. Yeah. Now, if they if they win one of those first two games and beat Colorado State and they're two and one, I you know I don't think anybody expects Colorado to be a top fifteen team. If they become a bowl team again, Deion Sanders to me is different. Like I remember when Leach got to Washington State, they had won nine games in the previous four years. Leach's nowhere near as charismatic as, as certainly as Dion is, but he's a compelling figure. He made them nationally relevant. I think the first game they had was against BYU on a Thursday night. And then mm-hmm. I think they had a Friday night game in Vegas um, where it was like a thousand degrees and that was an ESPN game, but he made them relevant, but nowhere near the way Dion, what Dion has done to CU football. All right, Bruce, one of the things that I think made this year's look, it's not the it's not like people mark their calendars for the schedule announcement like they do in the NFL. But one of the reasons I personally was interested in it this year is that it's the first year of the Big Ten's new deals with NBC and CBS. And, you know, we're getting a little taste of what that might look like. Uh, There was there had already been announcements about. the Penn State West Virginia, the first night, uh, first Saturday night will be on NBC. That'll be their first primetime game, uh, and that NBC has the Black Friday Michigan State Penn State game. Well, now we see the first three weeks, and so a couple things stood out to me. Um, the first Big Ten game on CBS will be Ohio State Indiana. They're showing also showing a game on Sunday. For God knows what reason, between my alma mater, Northwestern, and Rutgers. Um, but here's what really stands out. When this was announced last year, it said there would be eight football games a season on Peacock, NBC's streaming service. And there was really no more detail than that. Like, what kind of games and when will they be? Well, it's starting right off the bat week one, East Carolina, Michigan. Big name program is on Peacock. And then the one that really stood out to me, week three, Pretty good non-conference game. Washington with Michael Penix, possibly preseason top 10 team at Michigan State. 
that will be exclusively on Peacock. This is kind of the beginning of, and, and other sports have already really experienced this, but it's really the first time for major college football. I think there was a Notre Dame Toledo game on Peacock a couple years ago um, where, okay, if you're a Michigan fan, if you're a Michigan state fan, in addition to whatever your main TV sources, whether that's cable, satellite, YouTube TV, Hulu, uh, Sling. Now you got to sign up for this other service. And let's say next year, the Pac-12, you know, this deal we've been waiting on for a year ends up having Amazon or Apple. Then you got to sign up for that one. You can see where this is headed. And it's not necessarily a great experience for the fans. Yeah, I think for some of our friends who are, soccer fans they probably already have peacock because of champions league um i'd be lying until probably my son got into soccer or playing it i don't think i would even know what it is <laughs> um and now i have some familiarity with it but definitely a different thing right in terms of i think is this the second year both of us have been on have been youtube tv people yeah last football season was my first one yeah and i'd be and lying. i'm never going back <laughs> Well, I'd be lying if I said, like, I don't consume college football TV like probably most of our listeners do because I'm on the road. And so I'm not home for most Saturdays. I'm almost never home for Saturdays in college football. So I'm not, you know, I'm, I just, you know, again, I, I know there are some times where I'm, I am around and I don't get Pac-12 network and there's a game, you know, there's a game I, that's on late at night when I land, but short of that, it's, it's not, but you're right. I, I think this is just something that people have got to get used to. Look, it's it, not to be, um, to have some level of self-awareness. We both work for a premium website in terms of we're asking people to subscribe to it. and. I think there's a lot of content that people get that they pay for on the side as opposed to, you know, back in the day, I remember this is early in my, you know, ESPN insider blog days, but I used to put like the little dollar sign in parentheses about like whatever links, cause you weren't getting it for free going to the main ESPN site. And I think we mentioned this a few months ago when it was really only Deion Sanders CU program that was on uh, ESPN, big ESPN, uh, Georgia, I think played on ESPN too, but the rest of it was all shuffled, you know, shuffled over to ESPN plus. Yeah. And big 12 fans have certainly needed ESPN plus for some time now. They made a deal with them a few years ago and, uh, at least a couple football games a week. And certainly a lot of college basketball games are on ESPN plus. Um, I think that I'm not going to like be a, get off my lawn kind of guy by any means times are changing. I think the cable model is outdated, but I also think this is a really bizarre middle, like in between stage we're in right now, you know, the cable model technology changed and, and it proved on, it's proving unsustainable or at least less sustainable than it was a decade ago. Uh, plenty of people still have cable to be clear, but I also don't think this. So, so we un, basically unbundled television Everybody's complaining they had to pay $150 a month for cable. People that don't even watch ESPN for a second are paying $10 a month for it. So we unbundled it. And now it's like, well, maybe the bundle wasn't the worst idea. Cause I gotta, I mean, I gotta get out my credit card and pay for all of these different services. And 
Um, remember my password for each one. Um, if I'm on a Saturday, like let's just fast forward to this season. I want to watch that Washington Michigan State game. I'm going to have to close out of YouTube TV and log into Peacock. That's, you know, not as easy as just hitting the previous button on your remote. Let me ask you a question, and this is stupid, but could you not just do it from a second screen and not log out of it? Sure, you could do a second screen, but is that, that, I mean, again, that's not, it's not as convenient as being able to just flip between channels, right? So I don't know that this is sustainable either. Um, By the way, these streaming services are losing billions of dollars, like, Disney is already starting to pull back a little bit from from investing so much in uh, Disney Plus. Um, the, these none of these services are even close to to being profitable for these networks, and but they feel like they got to keep doing it because this is the future and everybody wants streaming. And I don't know if they do. So we're probably going to go through I don't know five years or so where this viewer experience as a sports fan just gets worse and worse. And then at some point it's got to correct itself. And I don't know what that looks like. If somebody's going to like make an app that bundles together all of your other apps or, or, or what is that? Is that not doable in some capacity right now? No, because these apps all want you to stay on their app, right? Like Amazon. So Amazon Thursday night football, uh, the whole point of that, the whole reason they spent however much they, hundreds of millions of dollars they spent on that is they want you to go into the Amazon app and stay in the Amazon I app. I get it. but Buy I, some things while you're in there. But there's a lot of things that don't force you to do it. I imagine there would be some way at some point someone would be creative enough to make that work. Although this could be the same era of like Periscope where it seemed like a good idea and then all of a sudden it just kind of poof. <laughs> it's not so much coming up with the idea. It's that the networks have to agree to it. Like they would have to agree to basically – Sell their sell rights. Yeah. yeah I mean, look, the, it's it's one thing for them to get you to buy their sites because you have to you feel compelled to watch specific these games. It's another thing to say, okay, we're not only going to buy the site, we're going to commit to it to the point where you know you're going to stay on it. I mean, that's not realistic. By the way, I didn't even mention Peacock is showing a NFL playoff game this year. Like that, talk about big steps forward with sports and streaming. The NFL is actually putting one of its, you know, absolute marquee games, one of its uh, wild card playoff games, exclusively on a streaming service. So you're you're probably going to end up getting it, um, or you're going to start picking and choosing. Like, what what do I absolutely need? When I, if I'm a Michigan Michigan State fan, sounds like I'm going to need Peacock this season. Um, if I have no affiliation to those schools, and maybe I. I can skip those games. Um, you know, we've, we've been hearing for a year that the Pac-12 is going to put a lot of games on streaming. Uh, if you're not a Pac-12 fan, you might not subscribe for that. So um, it's still an improvement, by the way, over the Pac-12 network. You, you know, some people want the Pac-12 network, and no matter what, they can't get it. Anybody can, can you know, if they end up putting games on Apple, anybody with a credit card can sign up for that. So there, and there's positives and negatives. It's also it. an improvement compared to how you and I grew up where there were only so many games that were actually on TV. Correct. Oh, that always gets forgotten about. I mean, it was not that long ago, actually 2010, I believe when you're watching the NCAA tournament and you're entirely dependent on what game CBS put on in your market. You, so you would watch that game and then you would wait for them to cut in. If there's like a close game somewhere else, you'd wait for them to cut in. And now 
every game is on TV because they have those four different networks. Um, and people find things to complain about that. So, And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Looking at the larger schedule, so just picking out some highlights here. The first ABC, we told you about the first two big noon games. The first ABC primetime game is going to be North Carolina, South Carolina. That game is in Charlotte. Um, the second week, we've got the big Texas-Alabama game on ESPN. Uh, you've got, well, I forgot to mention LSU-Florida State is a big one. That's a Sunday night game on ESPN the first weekend. It's not... There are not as many marquee early season non-conference games as there have been in the past. But, hey, you wait eight months for college football, you're going to watch college football. Which games are you most in those first three weeks as you look at these press releases? Do you look at it and go, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one? Uh, I am very curious to see the first, and I got, again, self-serving, but Nebraska, Colorado. I am curious to see the first Dion uh, home game. Um, what that what that experience is going to be like? My crew did that game in Mel Tucker's year at CU, and it was it was an awesome uh, afternoon. It was a three thirty game, but or maybe I guess it was a one thirty game. I don't even remember what time it kicked off locally. But uh, all right, so the games to me for September that I'm most interested in. Should I just kind of rattle off my what I think would be my top five or six? Sure. Okay. So I mentioned one. I am very interested in LSU at. LSU Florida State it's it was a very interesting game last year I don't think anybody realized that both of those teams were going to turn out to be as good as they were Mm -hmm. um and so look I think there are some people I don't know about you but I think there's some people who think that LSU is a is a legit playoff team you have I'm definitely one of those so you have them going to the playoff Bruce, my early top 25, I had them number two in the country. Well, Not my do. early one, my one coming out of spring practice. You have Florida State in the top 10, correct? Yes. So that is, I mean, to me, that's a compelling That's matter. a big game. The other one that jumps out at me is is September 9th, and that is Texas at Alabama. You and I were both in Austin last year, where Alabama was very, very fortunate to get out of there with a win. Texas outplayed them even after. That was the best Quinn Ewers had looked and you know all year and he got hurt but then uh, Hudson Carter went in he got hurt still battled through it you know there's a bunch of penalties on Alabama it just did not look like Alabama um so we're going to see what this version of the Crimson Tide looks like without without Bryce Young maybe it's maybe it's Tyler Buckner it's obviously new coordinators on both sides of the ball 
you know, um, I think it's a deeper receiving core. There's no Bijan, but a deeper receiving core for certainly for Quinn Ewers. You know, some pressure on Sark. He gets to play his old, you know, his old boss. That's a big one for me. Um, Ohio State at Notre Dame. I think that'll be an interesting one just because both both places, new quarterbacks. I think it's Sam Hartman to see what I'm interested to see how he does. And look, the last, whatever it was, the last three games that Ohio State played, their defense got shelled. So I want to see if, you know, if, if, how much better they are. And then I kind of two wild card games. I mentioned the Florida State already, but like they play at Clemson in late September. I think it's really the first chance to get a real feel for what Garrett Riley is going to do there. And then in this game, the last game I'm going to mention is probably not on anybody's you know, national radar, but is A&M at Miami at September 9th. And here's why I'm curious. You know, look, both coaches have some heat on them. Jimbo has a ton of heat on them. Mario has a little bit of heat that's, you know, after a shaky first year. If Miami wins this game, that's a big if, they have a really good chance of opening 5-0 and if you look at their schedule. It's not hard. If A&M, and by the way, they only have... Miami only has one road game in the first five, and that is at Temple. If AM wins, they have a good chance of going in five and zero, oh, and this is their only road game in that stretch. So somebody who wins that game, I think, is going to get a lot of momentum. The one who loses, again, like I said, they probably still have a good chance to be four and one, but I don't know. I, I think we'll find out a lot about both of those teams in, in you know September 9th. You. All right, so we have some overlap there for sure. Um, also, I should mention I had not looked past week three. I've been kind of uh, consumed by by those announcements. Um, I do think North Carolina, South Carolina, you know, on paper is probably going to be neither of those teams is going to be ranked higher than about 20th, and maybe South Carolina won't be ranked at all. However, you know, as we've gone through the, the NFL draft cycle and, you know, which then leads to your early mock drafts for next year, Drake May – is uh, it's just pretty much universal. Caleb Williams is your number one QB. Drake May is number two. I didn't see as much of Drake May last year as I would have liked to. I feel like all their, you know, a lot of their games, even though they had a good season, were on ACC Network. Um, I did watch the bowl game. He looked great. I've had people see him in person who who are just blown away by the guy. So you know, prime time ABC. Everybody be watching that game. New offense, uh, by the way. Yeah, Longo's gone, and also South Carolina ended last season, you know, with blowing out Tennessee, with beating Clemson for the first time in a while. So there's a lot of interest in whether uh, Shane Beamer can keep that up, take the next step. Spencer Rattler's back, uh, so I thought that was a good choice for that opening or, or that, uh, yeah, the opening um, primetime game. Um, when you look, skip ahead now to. Uh, week two, also an ABC primetime game, Wisconsin at Washington State. Luke Fickle has generated a lot of buzz for the Badgers, not just because he's was a hot name coming from Cincinnati, but because he is doing the unthinkable and turning Wisconsin into a no-huddle team with a – that's where Phil Longo, the former UNC OC, is now – he kind of gets grouped with the air raid tree, but I don't, it's, it's not an air raid guy. I mean, he's an air raid guy, but not like a throw it 50 times a game air raid guy. I mean, they're definitely going to run the ball with, 
with uh, Braylon Allen uh, for sure. But it's definitely, I mean, Wisconsin has been the same team with the same identity since Barry Alvarez got there, which was more than 30 years ago. The coaches change, still big offensive linemen, still going to run the ball down your throat. So entirely new look, and they're going to play a Washington State team. I don't have a good read on Washington State. Maybe you do. They still have Uh, board. They don't have Deion Henley. Uh, Ben Arbuckle, also a new offensive coordinator. He's another guy who has a lot of buzz on him. Uh, Came from uh, Western Kentucky, but is a guy who, who bounced around and is a fast riser. I mean, worth noting is... Jake Dickert, who's, a, who's originally from Wisconsin, went back home and they beat the Badgers last year. That's so, right. You know, this is a revenge game. I don't think any. I don't say. I don't think anybody expected that, but that definitely surprised a lot of people. All right, this one's just for the novelty of it. It's by no means a significant game, but Auburn is playing Cal in the Pac-12 After Dark window, um, and I just I'm I'm. It just, it, I don't know, it, it gives me a smile on my face to think of an SEC team playing at 1030 Eastern. And in this case, it's an SEC team that also has a lot of curiosity with Hugh Freeze coming in, with Peyton Thorne coming over from Michigan State. I personally think Cal is going to be very bad. Uh, there's not a lot going for them, but they have, they actually, early on in Justin Wilcox's tenure, I think they they swept a home and home with Ole Miss. Um, like they've beaten teams like that before. So... Will you be making the road trip for freeze after dark in your neighborhood? <laughs> Those after dark games, as late as they are on the East Coast, uh, they're they're even pretty late to to go to on the West Coast, just because. Like last year, I went to the Stanford BYU game at the end of the season just because of the David Shaw story I was working on, and man, it was like it felt like it was being played in the middle of the night because by then you'd already it was Thanksgiving Saturday, so you'd already I'd already sat at home and watched. Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Auburn. I think I watched the first half of um, the primetime USC uh, Notre Dame game before I even got in my car to leave for that late night game. So, no, I will probably not not be making the trek to that one. I'm trying to find some ones that you haven't already mentioned. Um, let's go uh, week three. Um, man, I keep defaulting to the ABC game, but Backyard Brawl. Uh, in prime time, Neil Brown, probably one of the hottest seats in the country right now. They, if you remember, they opened the season last year. Wasn't that like a Thursday or Friday night game? That was the, the, the first week. Eden Slovis. Uh, it was, and it came right down to the wire. West Virginia lost. Was it Rice and one is it BYU? So, so now it's the, um, so Keaton Slovis is gone and now been replaced by another, uh, former big name quarterback at another school. Uh, Phil Dracovic, formerly of Notre Dame, formerly of BC. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be an interesting one. You know, I was a little surprised when CBS – so CBS doesn't start their SEC package till week three, and they've only uh, – so they've only announced one game, and it's South Carolina, Georgia. And I get it. Georgia's the defending champs going for a three-peat. I was a little surprised they picked that, though, over Tennessee, Florida, which probably speaks to how far Florida has fallen. But, I mean, their, their streak is still there. I mean, Tennessee has barely beaten Florida um, over the last 20 years and certainly in Gainesville at the Swamp. So it's a big game for them. We get a sense of well, – actually, they're also playing Virginia. Uh, Tennessee is the first week. Virginia, not very good last year. Uh, just is Josh Heupel going to 
keep the offense rolling with Joe Milton now with having lost those receivers. Um, you know, that we'll get a taste of that against Florida again. Florida to me seems like a five and seven kind of team, but that's always a big game, big rivalry. Um, LSU, you mentioned the Florida State game. That's obviously a bigger one than what I'm about to mention, but this one's a tricky one. At Mississippi State, 11 a.m. Central on September 16th. Those are often trap games for those SEC teams that are used to playing at night. Uh, all in all, again, these are not the kind of games we're mentioning. There have been seasons in the past where you wouldn't even have thought to bring I wouldn't even have thought to bring up Mississippi State LSU because there were so many better ones. It's just a it's a watered down non-conference schedule this year. Can I stop you quick on that yeah. though? Like I feel like I I mentioned two games that like to you know, you have LSU number 2. I think most people have them in the top LSU, six. LSU Florida State's huge. That is a and Ohio, and Ohio really State Notre Dame's huge well, just a little bit well, later. No, Ohio State Notre Dame is big because it's certainly Notre Dame's brand. But like to me, Texas Alabama after last year is a really big game. It is a really big game. I, last year's hmm, last year's felt bigger because Alabama was number one in the country and the favorite to win the national championship. In Alabama now, there's the, the hype is a little less than usual, but it's still Alabama. People will be watching. Um, Texas is going to be an interest. I mean, I feel like we say this every year, but there's a lot of reason people are optimistic about Texas. In fact, I would not be surprised if when the big 12 preseason poll comes out, Texas is picked to win the big 12. Uh, and yet do I have any faith they're going to go to Tuscaloosa and be Alabama? I do not. Do you? I don't. Um, you know, I was thinking of something you, when you just said, that you think Texas might be the preseason pick to win the Big 12. I should probably catch myself because I'm sure there's a lot of years where Oklahoma was and they ended up winning it. But I just feel like that is the that conference Kiss of death. is the is the hardest conference to predict. You know, so and I could It's be- it's a it's a there is no clear favorite. You know, it might be Texas by default. It might be Kansas State just because they won it last year. I don't think it'll be TCU because they've lost so many people. Um, and added element to the Big 12 this year, you've got UCF, yeah, Cincinnati, BYU, and who did I forget? Houston uh, in there. In fact, that was another interesting thing looking at some of the early TV Houston, games. It's UTSA? Like, yeah, you've got Houston, UTSA. You've got... Uh, I believe TCU at Houston is a primetime game on Fox. Like these game, these teams that until they step on the field this year, I still kind of associate with the AAC are now going to be playing in some of these, you know, um, really good big 12 TV windows. Yeah. You know what? I mean, you could have the BYU at Kansas game being interesting where Keaton Slovis our former USC slash, Pit quarterback is now at BYU and he goes against Jalen Daniels. So that is Heisman contender Jalen Daniels. Address address him appropriately. BYU is also playing at Arkansas week three. That's a primetime game on ESPN. Maybe another Heisman contender in KJ Jefferson. I love KJ Jefferson and I feel like he just never quite gets into that conversation. Um, People watch him. They're impressed by him. He's never – I mean, there was an Alabama game two years ago where he went toe-to-toe with, with Bryce Young, and they barely lost. Uh, but he's also had some stinkers for sure. 
Um, all right, I, Stu, since we've talked a lot about scheduling, the things we're really looking forward to about the season, now there's a topic I feel like neither one of us is probably like that interested to jump in, but it's just it's SEC uh, meetings this week in Destin. One of the topics that's getting kicked around a lot is whether the league should and will go abandon the eight-game conference schedule to n- move to nine games. Uh, so I want to ask you this, not whether – you know, whether they even vote on it later this week or not remains to be seen. But if you're the SEC, why would you? Why would you which one? Like, why would you go to nine if you know that you're always probably going to get in position to go to the playoff? You're already positioned really well. What ends up happening is the likes of Arkansas, Ole Miss, pretty much the mid-level schools on down it probably makes it a lot easier for them to, even if their season doesn't go well, to become bowl eligible, right? They they get the cushy extra game because they're not probably playing a power five opponent where it's just less margin for error. So if you're the SEC, unless ESPN is like begging you for programming help, why would you do it? First of all, I just want to say that this is my the most boring topic that has just goes on and on and on. And I'm ready for them to just like, Send me a Google alert when you actually decide something, because now now it appears they're not even going to decide anything long term this year either. Uh, the argument for nine games is pretty simple. It, college football's chain attendance is a problem. Uh, even a school like Alabama has a lot of empty seats for those FCS or Sun Belt games. Why would you not give your fans another notable game? And the thing about risking a loss is 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 it going to be offset now by the twelve team playoff? It's not. You know, uh, it's not going to be offset if you're Arkansas or your Ole Miss or your Mississippi State or your Kentucky. Well, those are the ones still fighting to the death for eight games. It's a it's a split from what we understand right down the middle between the the Georgias of the world who who Kirby Smart literally walked in and said um, he doesn't care. Um, And then the the schools like you're talking about that are just preoccupied with six wins. I think it's interesting that they are just basically expecting like there seems to be an expectation that ESPN, which is under no obligation to pay them a dollar more than they already do to kick in some extra money for them going to nine conference games. And that now that has become a reason to, to stay with eight for now. They want to, they're not going to, they're going to maybe wait another year and see if ESPN will cave. And I just, I don't understand the argument there. Yes, you're improving the quality of your schedule, but it's not like you're adding extra inventory. Like, see, ESPN gets those, you know, seven Alabama home games per year, whether they're playing uh, Georgia or Georgia Southern. So, and ESPN, obviously, they're laying people off. They're they're going through some hard times. Like, yeah, I just you're just asking for like a charity handout basically, and they already pay you an absurd amount of money. So I don't know if that's what you're holding out for. If they're like, well, we'll just keep it at eight for now, and then maybe when ESPN's uh, or Disney's situation improves, then they'll pay us. I don't, I don't know that they will. I mean, the contract is in effect for another um, eleven years, so we'll see about that. But. You know, I think Greg Sankey is the, is definitely on pro nine games and it's interesting that he does not necessarily have the influence to just make it happen. Guys, this is what we should do. Make it happen. 
So we will, I guess, um, be right back here on this podcast at this week next year during the Destin meetings next year, having this same exact conversation. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What do you say we get the mailbag? As always, send your questions to the Audible Pod. No, as always, tweet your questions to me. That, that's, that's, that went so well last time that... Um, I'm not going to deactivate the audible pod at gmail.com, but I may be checking it less often. Okay, we've got uh, Brandon Durst, Brandon Durst MPA, according to his Twitter file, Twitter bio. Um, he says, if conference realignment is truly all about the money, then why aren't universities like Oregon State and Washington State on the chopping block? Hey, I'll have you know, Washington State actually does quite well in the TV ratings. Oregon State, definitely not so much. Yeah, I get this every from time to time, Bruce. Why, you know, if it's this cutthroat and the schools are and the conferences are poaching teams from each other, why aren't they um, trimming from their own roster? I think some of it, look, it, it, you know, if you're the SEC, you have these alliances for so long with places like Vanderbilt. I think it's, uh, you know, this was a frustration of USC people for a long time where it was like, how come we're getting the same rate as Arizona, as Arizona, Oregon State, Washington State, when we're the ones, you know, it's not an easy question, I think, for them to answer. But they're in partnerships. A lot of these people are, you know, the university presidents look at maybe look at football and look at this in a little bit different light. But the money is a real thing, um, you know, because you hear a lot of like look at the example from the ACC when you get like Florida state boosters and a bunch of other people, they agreed to a contract and then they just want out from it. You know, I just think it's like, it's at some point, I think they're kind of arguing with themselves. I think what he's describing will probably happen eventually, not necessarily because the PAC 12 makes that decision, but because, 
the TV network still. Yeah, well, I mean, I I all think this is ultimately leading to the college football Premier League, where the top programs will separate across the board. But I think on a, in a traditional conference model, uh, yes, they want more money. But that's different to me than um, the only school I remember a conference kicking out during my time covering it. And I, maybe I'm forgetting some Temple. some more Temple. Yeah, Temple. The Big East kicked Temple out, but it wasn't because they were dragging down the bottom line. It was because they were completely non-competitive. Their academics were a total mess. Nobody was going to the games. They were just kind of dragging the whole league down in in that regard. And then you know they got things better and they they brought them back. Uh, it's just it's very it would be very uncollegial, I guess, to just say, "Hey Vanderbilt, you know, thanks for being a charter member of the SEC. You're, we're done with you now." And, and of course, Vanderbilt does quite well in many of the other sports for the SEC. I don't – is there any school you can think of that's just bad in sports across the board? Across – like like Vandy baseball right now is a powerhouse. Powerhouse. Um, I feel like all of these schools, even if they're bad in football or bad in Ben's basketball, they have other sports that you know, they're really good at. Kansas football was. Obviously, Kansas basketball was a powerhouse. As down as Indiana has been. You know, like, I don't know exactly what it was like a little before you, but like Northwestern, I know because you've just talked about this a lot, had not gone to the NCAA tournament in forever in basketball. And back Ever. in the 80s, they were atrocious in football. Yeah, but, you know, they just literally this weekend won the uh, Women's Lacrosse National Championship. Their softball team almost made the College World Series. No, but I'm saying like, were they, yeah. were they, and I, again, I don't know this. This is maybe a question for Teddy Greenstein. Teddy's not that old, but somebody who's like <laughs> older than me who went to like a Mike Wilbon, I guess, or somebody who was like, you know, at Northwestern in the eighties, how bad were they in the other sports? That's a great question. I don't know. I know that tennis was very good. Remember Todd Martin? No. <laughs> the professional tennis player, Todd Martin. Did I get his name wrong? I mean, you're, you're a sports fan. You'd remember. Yeah, Todd Martin, uh, professional tennis player. He came from Northwestern. He was really good. He won eight championships. He made the finals of the Australian Open, the U.S. Open. I guess that, you know, you're not a huge tennis fan. but uh, No, I mean, Rutgers, I think, is pretty bad in most sports, but their men's basketball program has got it going now. Uh, women's basketball uh, has been good for, for a long, long time. So... And again, these and then there's the academic component of it. You know, these presidents want to be aligned with with you know. That's why I think Vanderbilt has a a seat for life in the SEC as long as the conference model is still the conference model. Northwestern has a seat for life in the Big Ten. Um, you know, there, there's just there's just more to it um, than is your football team getting TV ratings. Okay, what else you got? What else do I got? Will the SEC go to Thursday and Friday night games next year on ESPN the way the ACC does right now? I hope so. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think uh, too much of the game day experience on a, on a weekend. Yes. I do remember in the two thousands, Mississippi state felt like they were on Thursday night football a lot. Maybe South Carolina, South Carolina used to always play their opening game on Thursday night. Yeah. But no, Alabama, Georgia, tennis, they're not moving their games to weeknights because they, you know, like you said, like the game day, Saturday game day experiences, a way of life there down there. Big 10 doesn't like doing those games either. Um, they've kind of reluctantly 
agreed uh, in the last, you know, I think going back to the start of the last contract. But even then, you know, you don't see, uh, does Michigan ever play in those Thursday and Friday night games? I feel like they're always like. No, you got, you, you do have, I think, Penn State playing one, but it's usually like Maryland, Illinois, you know, Iowa's throwing on some Fridays. Yeah. Um, well, let's get to the most important question of all, Bruce. So these massive press releases that went out with the TV times, ESPN's also included the entire bowl schedule because they've got almost all of the bowl games. And in that, they didn't like mention this in any, any capacity, just kind of had to notice it. The bowl game in Orlando that I feel like has changed names a gazillion times it was the Tangerine Bowl. It was the, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when it was the Micron PC Bowl. It was the Champ Sports Bowl. Most recently it was the Cheez-Its Bowl. It is now the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And Brian Martz asked thoughts on the Pop-Tarts Bowl, replacing the legendary Cheez-It Bowl. Um, Pop-Tart, everybody loves Pop-Tarts. When was the last time you had Pop-Tarts? Mm. When's the last time you had Pop-Tarts? <laughs> well, I actually liked Pop-Tarts, but because I was sitting there going like the 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 icing on the Pop-Tarts, I really like them. I just haven't had them in probably 30 years. I wonder what the nutrition stats are on that. Pretty shitty. Um, well, here, I got to give them credit. I think what we found as these bowl games are increasingly losing relevance, you know, um, falling further and further off the map, Duke's Mayo Bowl has struck gold. Uh, Cheez-It Bowl, I don't know why they're going away. They still sponsor the Citrus Bowl. It's all about food. You want your sponsor to be food because then they will dump the food on the coach. So I'm thinking a Gatorade bucket full of Pop-Tarts would be pretty heavy and would hurt. I think the Pop-Tarts would be maybe a f- like a face smashing of the Pop-Tart. Well, why couldn't they be mini Pop-Tarts? I don't think that's good. I think it should be a big pop tart and it should be like a, like a, like a birthday cake face plant. What if you, I could see like the players crumbling the pop tarts over the coach's head. Anyway, like every year the Duke's Mayo bowl becomes the sensation of Twitter as everybody waits for that moment when the, when they dump the, the Mayo on the coach um, I like when they dump the French fries on the coach at the Idaho Potato Bowl. I think the Pop Tarts Bowl is going to see a a um, surge in viewership this year, regardless of who's in the game, because they want people to want to know what what's going on with the Pop Tarts. Yeah, look, I think unlike some of these things, um, you know, you mentioned I remember it was like well, it was, what it was like the Beef O'Brady's Bowl or whatever that was. Like sometimes it was like a thing that it's either very regional or most people don't know, you know, just don't know about the thing. Like mm-hmm. I'd never heard of Duke's Mayo and I get it. That's why it's a bowl, but it's like, um, I feel like everybody's eating pop tarts. Most, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't just sit there and go, Oh, I'd like to eat Mayo. Um, <laughs> Mike Golick, not with Mike Golick Jr. Not well, I had never, I mean, I'm not from the South and I was not, I knew I had heard of Duke's Mayo. I didn't realize what a big deal it was. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I, I do think it's certainly better than some of the most random stuff that like becomes bowl sponsors for a little bit. But um, it's because food is a, is something you know, like like what the heck is the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl? Like some of these companies, they just want to get their name on TV. What is okay? This one's new this year. Actually, I saw it also saw it in the press release, and I have no idea what this is. 
the 68 Ventures Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. 68 Ventures. I, I just don't. Under, wait, I don't. Under, I don't get it because I'm going to take it into a to a not so cool place. So Wasabi Fenway Bowl. It's not the wasabi with you eat with your sushi. It's well, that a company was named Wasabi year, too. That was that right was last year. Um, it looks like everything else. Uh, everybody else re-upped with their sponsors. So congratulations, to everybody, on that. Um, I do remember oh, one year going to the A and M, A and M Duke. Uh, Chick-fil-A bowl and they did not have, they ran out of Chick-fil-A in the press. Yeah. Probably because Andy Staples was there. No, Andy Staples was not at this new year's Eve bizarre game. Um, I mean, sport and whenever there's a Chick-fil-A, you know, but Chick-fil-A kickoff or Chick-fil-A bowl, or even, you know, when the playoff is there, like the sports writers just you free Chick-fil-A. There's few things sports writers get more excited about than than free Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where a few things get more disappointed out when it runs out <laughs> with that, that night. Um, all right. As always, send your questions to Stu at his Twitter f- handle. Um, hey, real quick. I don't know if we ever followed up on this. You remember a few months ago, somebody asked about um, sports writers getting drunk in the press box or have a beer in the press. I said, I, we were like, I, I've never heard of that. It turns out we were wrong. The Cowboys Stadium, after the game ends, they open the taps, I found out. Okay. So he must have gotten a tour. He said he'd gotten a tour, and they and they pointed, yeah, that must be the stadium he got the tour of. I think, and I'm, I'm, I had to think about this for a second. Like, you and I both covered Ohio State winning the national title there. Right. Um, you know, I've done games on the field for Fox because I did the Big 12 title game there, but it was not in the press box. I'm trying to think if I've been in the press box other than that time for, you know, Ezekiel Elliott in Ohio State. I covered a few of the early, and by the way, I noticed this game has disappeared without warning that, that when they would play the early season, the, the, the opening weekend game there. Didn't I, I covered uh, Oregon play? Yeah, LSU. I covered an LSU-Oregon game. I covered a... Michigan Alabama game that was over in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, I've covered I've covered a few games there. I covered the ooh, it seems like every game I go to there is bad. The Alabama Michigan State thirty eight nothing college football playoff semifinal. I do not remember them opening the taps, but I have um, after we record put out the episode, some sports writers let us know that that is the case. So I wish I could remember who asked the question or tell you what episode it was in but if you're still listening you still remember that there's your answer <laughs> there's your answer okay we'll see you guys next time how did we get away with the things we used to do jumping off bridges spinning down hills and catching it